Okay, I'm glad you're here. <clears throat> it's Mother's Day, and uh, I just want to say one thing about uh, motherhood as, as a non-mother. <laughs> Which, first of all, I've been telling my kids this year that, you know, I've been whispering to them when they're alone. I say, you know, Mother's Day is just practice for Father's Day, right? <laughs> Had to do that one alone to make sure who's in the room and who isn't in the room when you make that joke. But uh, anyway, um, you know, the, the Torah uh, idea is that um, we're all parents, uh, whether we have physical children or not. And it's actually more than just a platitude. There's actually a, a very deep aspect to it, which is that, you know, when it says that when a person does a mitzvah or, or the other side, that essentially they create an angel. And depending on, in, in direct proportion to which they have what we call kavana, which means sort of holy intention, which means focus, or to the extent that you're there, let's say, you know, in the fullest way, your mind, your heart, everything like that, to the extent that you're in that good place, the nature of the angel um, that you create uh, is, is determined. So, so in other words, one of the great teachings and... Um, I don't know if the Chida said it or brought it, but whatever it is, it's a, it's a very old teaching. In the whole um, account of the Akeda, where, where Abraham puts Isaac on, on the altar, um, and that's a whole amazing thing in itself, what really went on, it's greatly misunderstood. Um, but without going to the depths of that, at the crucial moment when, when God tells Abraham not, not to do the act, he speaks through an angel, and the angel says to Abraham, now I see that you're really God-fearing. Right? So listen to this interpretation. The angel, you see, if we, do, if, we do a, if we make a blessing, say, over food or something like that, and we just sort of mutter it out of habit, and who knows if we even said all the words and everything like that, and, and a moment after we said it, we don't even know if we said it or not. I mean, that unfortunately is, is a fairly common occurrence. Um, Really, what does that angel that we've created look like? You know, it's probably hobbling around. Maybe it's missing an arm or so. You know, it's just hunched over. It, it's not, it, it's not a, the sterling sort of like emission of energy, you know, and, and creation that, that, we, that we would prefer. So when this Malach, when this angel said to, to Abraham, to Abraham at this crucial moment, now I see that you're a God-fearing person. The teaching is that the angel looked at himself and saw that he was 100% complete and that he was huge and strong and mighty. And so he was able to see, the angel was able to see in himself the, the complete um, visualization, uh, materialization on some level of the completeness of the love and the devotion of Abraham. Because Abraham at that moment had created this awesome, awesome angel because his, his energy was so unbelievably high. Now, now, this is an important thing because, like I say, this idea that all of us are, are parents and all of us have children is, is not just this platitude when we say that our, our deeds are our children. This is, this is a very real thing because if you... If you follow through with this teaching, you understand that you're creating angels all the time. And those angels have an enduring life force. 
Just like a child has an enduring life force who can affect other people. So this, this, bless you, so this energy that you put into this world endures and affects people and inspires people and changes people. So depending on whether it's a good activity or a bad activity, by the way, it will take them one way or the other, just like if it's a good child or, or you know, not a, a well-behaved child. That also influences people one way or the other. So, you know, to go back to the Akeda, to the binding of Isaac for a moment, think about what that act of devotion and faith that Abraham did, how much it's still with us and still guiding us and still elevating and instructing us. So that's true on a, another level in terms of our own lives with the energy that we put out into the world, with our actions. It continues to live and interact and inspire and guide other people, very much like a child. That's the point. So, so we should all know that we're all parents, no matter what. That's, that's, that's the first thought, in a very real way. That's, that's the point, in a very real way. Um, so... So there's a lot to discuss today, and um, I think that I want to begin with a, a teaching from Pirkei Avos, from the Ethics of Our Fathers. That's a, an amazing section of the Talmud, a very slim, slim section of the Talmud, where the sages basically, the way I heard my teacher, Reb Shlomo, explain it, the sages put down in words the teachings that were most central to their lives, the teachings that they couldn't live without. And so that's, that would be an interesting exercise, by the way, for all of us to do, to figure out if we only, you know, if you only had like 30 seconds on, you know, Dateline or, you know, some, some news show, some interview show, whatever it is, what message would you give over to the world? I, I've actually asked myself that question. I know the answer to that. But... Um, for another time. <laughs> no, I'll tell you right now, since we're on it anyway. It's probably the, the teaching that I say over most often, which is, without going through the fullness of it, just to get to the, the sort of the one-liner of it, which is the, the, how essential it is to understand that the world is still in the process of being created. That the world is not done yet. And that we're, that's why we're here. We're partners with God in terms of finishing up the world. And this helps you to explain why you can have simultaneously two things that don't seem to go together. How you can have, on the one hand, God, who exists, who's good, who's involved with all of creation, and at the same time, have an imperfect world. Because seemingly, those two things can't go together. And yet, when you understand that the world is still in the process of being, give, uh, being created, then you understand, wow, you can have a God who is good, who is all-powerful, who's involved in our lives, and yet... Our job in this world is to be partners with him in terms of finishing this awesome project, which is creation itself, and bringing it to its completion. So that's, that would be my 30 seconds on, on network news, right? Right there. So anyway, the sages challenged themselves in this way, and they also gave over amazing, amazing nuggets. But, you know, if there, it's, a little bit, um, it, it's a little bit cryptic, and it's best to learn with a commentary. And thank God, this is one of the um, parts of the Torah that probably has more commentary than any other part. Um, again, it's called the Ethics of the Fathers, of the Ethics of Our Fathers, or Pirkei Avos in Hebrew. And there are many, many editions. Um, you can just look it up on Amazon. Um, do you like the Rabbi Tversky one? Oh, 
Yeah, that's a great one. There's, there's a, Fathers and Sons is a Hasidic interpretation that's excellent. Really, I highly recommend that one. It's uh, on the deeper side. Um, another one that's really good is just the Art Scroll one. It's a, a giant book, and it makes a great gift. Um, yeah. Well, I don't get any kickbacks for that, but uh, I guess I do on, on a spiritual level. But anyway, it's a, that's a good one. And uh, so let's dive in. So this is um, chapter three, uh, number five, mission number five. And what, the, the reason why I want to share this with you is because I've read this many, many times. And just the most simple level of it uh, came to me. And so I kind of dismissed it. Not, not that I dismissed it, but I never dwelled on it at all, because I just thought that, well, you know, this is giving a very practical bit of advice, and that's what it is, and I moved on to the next slide. Um, but Reb Shlomo Karlbach brings in the name of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov some very, very deep ideas on this. And um, just so you know, a, a book that I really highly recommend, it's um, this, uh, this is from Rebbe Nachman Says, the teachings of Rebbe Nachman of Breslov, as taught by Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, compiled by Zivi Ritchie, and it's available on lulu.com, l-u-l-u.com, if you want to, if you want to get that. It's a, it's a really strong, strong book. Um, so, into the Mishnah, Pirkei Avos, chapter 3, Mishnah number 5, says, Rabbi Chanina says that one who travels alone, I'm just uh, excerpting the, this one teaching, one who travels alone on the road um, at night, but turns his heart to idleness. So that's not idol, I-D-O-L, like idol worship. This is just, you know, just kind of, you know, just wh- just whimsical thoughts, idleness, just not thinking about anything of, of meaning. So someone who walks alone at night and just is kind of wasting time, basically, right, um, bears guilt for his soul. Mishayev binasha. To be chayv, it's not quite chayv misa. It's not sort of a death penalty, but it's a, it's it's he's put himself in a in a in a dangerous spiritual place, a dangerous spiritual place. So again, let's just get the basic example here: someone who's walking alone at night, thinking of nothing particular special. That person's put himself in in trouble, basically, on a spiritual level. He's in a place of real danger and vulnerability. Okay. So that, because it's such practical advice, you know, it sounds like, well, that's what it is, you know? It's just, that's, that's the teaching. But listen to what Rebbe Nachman does with it. First of all, Rebbe Shlomo comments that just, the, the, just on the simplest, most basic level, it's so deep. What does it mean, someone who walks alone at night? What does night mean? So, so... Reb Shlomo says night is referring to this entire world. Now that's very, very deep. So what does that mean? What does that mean? So night, you see, what happens at night? You can't see very well. You can't see clearly. And this world is called night, he's saying. Because in this entire world, God is very much hidden. See, this is the great paradox of the human condition of, of creation how God can simultaneously be absolutely everywhere, saturate all of time and space, all of existence, and at the same time, a person can genuinely, sincerely ask, where is God? Is there a God? 
I mean, this is the great conundrum of existence. And, you know, if you just think of it on a creative level, how great is God that he was able to create this structure where he could fill every iota, every atom's worth of existence, and at the same time can't be seen, clearly, often, right? Unless you look, unless you look. In fact, spiritually speaking, this is the lowest of all of the worlds. There are many worlds, and uh, you have to understand it in a spiritual sense, what that, what that means. And uh, I heard this from Rabbi Chaim Sitron. Uh, he said that when he was in yeshiva, he asked his Rebbe, how do we know that this is the lowest of all of the worlds? How do we know that there's not a world, so to speak, a, a realm of existence, if you will, a dimension where, which is even less spiritual, where God is even more hidden than in this one? And his Rebbe answered him something very fascinating, which is that this realm that we live in right now, Kabbalistically speaking, it's called Olam Asiya, which means the world of action, which is very interesting. But anyway, this realm that we, that we live in is the most hidden God can be where if you look for him, you can still find him. So that's kind of the description. That's the logline, if you will, of this world. God is the most hidden he can be where if you look for him, you can still find him. That's, that's what it is. And in fact, you know, Hebrew is so deep. God spoke the world into creation, and he spoke the world into creation using Hebrew, which means that Hebrew is the, the language of existence. And when you actually study Hebrew, you see that there are things in Hebrew that don't exist in any other language, that everything is far more amazing in Hebrew, actually. And in fact, the way Reb Shlomo put it one time, when the wind rustles through the trees, the sound that it makes is in Hebrew. Wow. You know, so it's really very elemental, to, to say the least. So the word for world in Hebrew is olam. Now that, that word, the, the root of that word, ayin, lamed, mem, actually means hidden. So, in other words, the word for world and the word for hiddenness is the exact same word in Hebrew. Why? Because of exactly what we've been saying up until now. That God is hidden in this world, fills the world, and yet miraculously, simultaneously is hidden. So, this world is called night because even in the daytime, God is hidden. Okay. But again, right there and everywhere. So, so someone, remember, we're, 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 we're trying to unpack this amazing teaching. One who walks alone at night and isn't thinking of anything, you know, elevated, bears guilt for their soul. So night also means, classically in terms of uh, Jewish philosophy, night also means hard times. Okay, so, and that's certainly consistent with the other meaning. So, so night is, is a difficulty. So now let's revisit. One who walks alone during hard times or one who walks alone when it appears to them that God is hidden in this world and doesn't think about anything interesting, anything high, is, 
is putting themselves in a, in a dangerous place. All right, but now we have to revisit another key word in this teaching, which is, what does it mean that this person is walking alone? See, you say, you say to this person, um, are you by yourself? And the person says, yeah, I'm by myself. And you say, well, what about God? And the person says, no, I'm all alone. You see, this person, this person has cut themselves off from God. Because none of us are ever alone. You can't be alone. You can be on a desert island that's just big enough to fit you, and you're not alone. And I'm not talking about the ants on the palm tree in the middle, you know, like in the New Yorker cartoons, right? It's like, you're really just alone. It's just you. You're not alone. You're never alone. And this is a, a, a breakthrough thought that, that everyone has to understand. And in fact, I heard Rav Shlomo taught in the name of the Sloan Rebbe that when the Torah describes how Amalek, and Amalek is the nation which is the spiritual enemy of the Jewish people. It, it, it wars against God and attacked us right after the sitting of, splitting of the Red Sea. So Amalek is, a, again, a subject in itself, but it's... Um, it represents, it's the consummate negativity and doubt. Okay? Let's put it that way. So when, when the Torah describes how Amalek attacked us as a people, it attacked the nation of Israel, it uses the word lecha. It says, remember when Amalek attacked you, lecha. Lecha is singular. Now, this is curious, because he attacked all of us. So if, if the Torah is going to describe the nature of the battle, it should put it in the plural. So the Slonim Rebbe says, do you know how the forces of negativity come to you? It tells you that you're all alone. See, because Amalek attacked Lecha in the singular. That's how Amalek attacks us, by telling us it's just you. It's no one else. You know what, this thing that you're going through? You're the only one who's going through this. You really are all alone. And you know what? No one else is going to understand. No one else is going to understand. Don't even bother talking to anyone. You're all alone. So this is, this is the biggest lie in the world. There is no bigger lie in the entire world than that. You know, interestingly, the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, there's another thing in Pirkei Avos, which, which says, take upon yourself a teacher. Right? Everyone has to have a Rav. Every single person has to have a teacher. Even the biggest rabbis have teachers. They, everyone has a teacher. You need a teacher because the nature of reality is that there's a chain. There's a chain starting with the first person, with Adam Harishon, with Adam. There's a first, there's a first, and remember, after Adam names all the animals, the Medrash says, after Adam finished, God turned to Adam and said, and what is my name? Right? That... I mean, that can just give you chills thinking about it. God says to Adam, what's my name? And Adam says, Adoni, which means my master. So you see, we have a master. There is one above us. And if we don't understand that there's one above us, then we're making ourselves into God. Whether we're doing this consciously or not consciously, we have to really look into our heart and to really x-ray like, where we're holding, where we're at. Is there in our life a final authority? Or have we made ourselves a final authority? 
If you don't think about this question, that means that most people have made themselves the final authority. You know, and that's not real because did I create myself? I didn't create myself. So how can I be, did I will myself into existence? You know, Rabbi Green says something very interesting. He says, oh, that's your nose? That's your nose? Where's the receipt? <laughs> right? You, you made it? You purchased it? Where, 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 where's the documentation? So a lot of people have trouble wrapping their mind around this because that means that they, that they have to be a servant, essentially. But who are you serving? The master of heaven and earth, the one who created you, the entire world, who keeps you alive every single moment. You know what? I can work for that person. Not that God's a person. God doesn't have a body. He makes bodies. He's beyond, 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 beyond. You know, we think God is a stronger, better, smarter version of me. That's what God is. No, that's not it. That's not it. God is beyond dimensions, beyond the formation, the form of a human being. I mean, just let's get real for a moment. So, so every single person has to take upon themselves a rab, a teacher, right? And then the teacher gets to know you and then is able to steer you on the proper path. But the, the truth is, is that it's for the next line in that teaching that I brought this up. Not, not for that. So the first line is, Aselech harav, take upon yourself a teacher, and buy yourself a friend. Which is, you know, very curious. What does it mean, buy yourself a friend? First of all, the sages are desperately trying to communicate. And one of the things that they're telling you is, a friend is so important, you can even buy yourself a friend. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe interprets that as a source for going to a psychotherapist. Because what is a psychologist? Someone who you pay in order to sit and listen to you. Right? Which is essentially what is he doing? He's being a friend to you. Right? So, so in other words, I'm bringing this teaching in order to tell you that you're never alone. A person is never alone. And if you actually do feel alone, buy yourself a friend. You know, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can I take you out for lunch? Get to know someone, whatever it is. Because the, that which will come from it is so valuable and so important to just having the strength to go on that it's, that it's a commodity worth acquiring. It has to be seen as a, a commodity that one should endeavor to have in their life. Okay. So now, so this person is walking alone at night, right? Night means this world. Night means through the difficult times. And they've decided that they're alone. They've cut themselves off from, from other people. They've cut themselves off from God. Okay, now you can really see how it is that they've put themselves in a place of danger. And they're not even thinking about anything elevated, right? For no reason. There is no higher purpose behind the fact that they've isolated themselves. They've just isolated themselves because emotionally and psychologically they've painted themselves into a corner. 
By the way, that's, that's just a phrase, but just, it's a really good phrase. Let's just imagine what it is. You're painting the floor, right? And for some reason, you didn't think it through. And you're stepping backwards, and you're stepping backwards, and you're stepping backwards. And now you're in the corner of the room, you finish the entire room, and then you look and you realize, how am I going to get out of this room? <laughs> the only way to get out of this room is to walk across a wet paint, and now I've ruined the whole thing. Now I've got to... Right? That's called painting yourself into a corner. Because there's so many people who live their lives in a way which is not well thought out enough, or they've been confronted with various challenges that have become overwhelming. You know, it's not just through negligence that this happens. Sometimes it's just the person tried and, and this is just kind of where they ended up. That both versions are okay. But then the person is stuck. Now the question is, okay, you're stuck. I get it. You're, you've painted yourself into a corner or you've been painted into a corner, however you want to say it. But now what? So a lot of people choose to just stay there. And that's... That, or they exist in such a state of emotional paralysis that they can't, they, 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 they can't even begin to know how to get out. So I would suggest run. <laughs> just, don't, just stop thinking. Run to the nearest exit. Just run. Run to the nearest person. Run to the nearest friend. Run to the nearest synagogue. Run to the nearest teacher. Just run. Run to a bookstore. You know, just run. Um, because there's um, a utility to thinking, but sometimes, you know, I heard a phrase one time, paralysis through analysis, <laughs> which I thought was very striking. Sometimes thinking helps, and sometimes thinking is the exact equivalent of wrapping large metal chains around yourself and just, you know, it's not helpful. You know, sometimes the answer is not to think. But again, it's these things should be determined in a conversation with someone who has, as we say, fresh eyes, someone who has the perspective that, that you may not have in the moment. Um, so Reb Shlomo says something very heartbreaking. He says, this person who's decided to be alone. This person who's decided, and he discusses someone who decides that they're going to leave Judaism, God forbid, in this instance, right? And, and Rav Shlomo says, do you know who's walking with you every step of the way with, throughout your life? Well, God for one. And all of the Jews that have ever lived because we're one soul. This is part of just the mind-bending aspect of what it means to be Jewish, really. We're one soul. So all past generations, they're all with us at this moment. So Reb Shlomo says, if someone is saying, you know what, I'm checking out of Judaism, I'm checking out. What if they would have to go up to the six million Jews who died in the Holocaust and say goodbye to them? To walk up, you know, I want to be alone right now. I understand you've been walking with me up until this moment, but now I want to say goodbye to you. He said, how many people would have the heart to actually do that? Or, let's say you do that. Now, why don't you go and say goodbye to Abraham, to Abraham Avinu, and Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet who's been walking with you every step of your life, right? 
And then you get to say goodbye to God. You say to God, you know what? I know you thought I was Jewish, but I know better. I know me better than you know me. So, you know, interesting on a, just a level of Jewish law, halakhically speaking, Judaism doesn't recognize conversion out of, uh, out of Judaism. In other words, if someone is inspired and wants to be part of the mission of the Jewish people, they, they can join. You know, and they're, they're invited. It says in the end of days, Judaism won't accept any more converts because at that point, it's going to be so obvious. Part of, the, what, part of what it means to be a Jew is to understand that you, you are the underdog and that you are taking on this mission which will sort of like instantly guarantee that there's going to be a percentage of the world that instantly despises you and wants to kill you for no other reason than the fact that you're Jewish. Right? Um, you know, it's like, you know what, it's Friday night, I'd like a little chicken soup. Okay, here's your chicken soup. Oh, and by the way, I want to kill you. <laughs> you know, what? What did I do exactly? What did I do to, you know, arouse this level of enmity? What, what exactly, you know? So, in other words, in the end of days, when it becomes, everything becomes clear, and the, this night aspect of reality sort of like turns into day, Remember, just, uh, this is a far-out teaching, but I, I want to share it with you. The, the prophet Zechariah, maybe it's Yeshaya, maybe it's Isaiah, I think it's, I think it's Zechariah, says that there's going to come a time where night is going to turn into day for a period of time. And the way I heard this explained by Rabbi <coughs> Moshe Shapiro Shlita, one of the great rabbis in the world today, is that at a certain month, the moon is going to become full and it's going to stay full and it's going to get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And night literally is going to turn into day and it's going to stay that way for a period of time. So this is one of the reasons why we dance and celebrate every new moon because we think that, who knows, Maybe this is the month. Maybe this, maybe this moon is the moon that's going to become full and stay full. I know this is a way out teaching, but this is our tradition. This is a prophecy. This is a prophecy. So, so now, now let's go a little bit further. So hopefully you see now, just to me this is like a classic bit of Hasidus, how you can see how the simple teaching is Sounds like, you know, it, it was printed on a flyer that you got from the local police department. Don't walk alone at night because you'll be in danger. You know, it, it, it would be perfectly good advice just coming from the, the municipality. Right. And here you see, wow, you know, what does it mean? And by the way, the final aloneness of that, when it says that the person has devoted himself to idleness, right, to just not thinking about anything, that's the person cutting themselves off from the tarp. You see, so that's the final, that's the final cutting off. That's the idea of being alone. So it's, it's very important that a person opens up their heart and realizes that they're really, they're part of something so much larger. And by the way, the more advances that are made in science and in technology, the more we realize how phenomenally integrated all of existence is. You know, interestingly, 
And this is kind of like really the, the kind of the big idea that's been coming down. Just, just how how much everything is tied together. How how much oneness there there is in everything. And Judaism, Torah, has been so ahead of this curve, has been anticipating this moment in terms of the zeitgeist for thousands of years. You know, but from a secular standpoint. You know, people's minds are starting to open up and getting really expanded and understanding like, whoa, reality is so much deeper than I thought it was. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, there's a, um, a famous uh, quote. I wish I could read it to you exactly. I'm just paraphrasing it. Um, I think it was said by uh, Professor Jastrow that, that uh, scientists are, have been scaling this mountain for, you know, thousands of years. And all of a sudden, they get to the top, these scientists and philosophers, and they realize that the, 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 the Torah scholars, right, the, 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 the religious people are already sitting on top of it, and they've been there the entire time, you know? So it's, you know, when it all boils down to oneness, this is a, this is a fairly simple idea, in a way, but we're proving it in the most radically complex ways. And I just heard an example of this, which I thought was very, very interesting. This was on uh, a radio show, which I definitely recommend, called Radio Lab. You can look it up, radiolab.org. And they've got all sorts of mind-bending kind of uh, philosophical and scientific uh, uh, research that they present in a very entertaining, uh, very polished, wonderful way. You know, I, when I listen to it, I feel like I'm listening to a... A, a Torah lecture, I just have to provide the Torah part. <laughs> so, so I guess I'm doing that right now. But um, the, the latest broadcast is talking about this amazing thing. They, they did it, I guess, in, in time for Mother's Day. That, um, that it was thought for you know, the longest, longest time that when a, a woman becomes pregnant, that the baby exists in a kind of a, a separate space within the mother. Okay? And while the mother is sharing sort of blood and energy and all sorts of things for the baby, the baby is not necessarily sharing it back to the mother. Okay? So that was the classic belief. And they started taking... Um, blood samples from the mothers and they realized that in the mother's blood were the baby's genes. So that the, and not only that, but this is really interesting, that the, after the baby was born, the baby's presence still exists in the mother. So, and not only that, but there's some of the father in the mother now on an ongoing basis after, and this is even if there was an abortion, even if there was a miscarriage, that the baby continues to exist within the mother physically and gives the mother antibodies and that the mother uses those antibodies to battle disease. So in other words, after the baby is born, the baby is still working within the mother to help the mother live. 
Now, there are two theories on this. I, I don't want to give you a summary of the whole thing. That, that's the more positive thing. Now they're, now, they're still trying to absolutely prove that. They've seen evidence of that 100%. And it's a little more complicated than that. But the, but the point is, and, and like I say, even the father now exists in, in the mother on an ongoing basis after the birth of the child. So, in other words, I'm, I'm bringing this as just an example of how science has pointed to us how incredibly intertwined we all are. I mean, that's, that's not a spiritual concept right now. We're talking about cells that have been documented and exist in your body. So that's, you know, you talk about oneness. And of course, you know, a favorite example, just an easy one to point to, but a good one, Facebook is tying together, I don't know, they're up to something like 800 million people as what? Friends. Right? Now, whether you say, well, is that really what a friend is? It doesn't even matter. They're called friends. 800 million people. That's almost a billion people. They're what, 6, 7 billion people? That's a lot of the world. are all connected as friends right now. It's pretty amazing. Not only that, but we know all the global economies have been tied together. Not only that, we also can go on Google and in a fraction of a second summon the entire history of world civilization of thought. Every meaningful thought just about any ancient has ever had is available within fractions of a second. And now with mobile commuting, uh, mobile computing, which is, you know, like the iPhone, because if you haven't realized it yet, your iPhone is a desktop computer. Right? More than a phone. It's the, the idea, more, better than a laptop, better than the, a netbook. You now have basically... Your computer, probably the computer you use the most, in the palm of your hand. So, so, and world travel, plane travel, has connected the entire world into one neighborhood. So let's, let's just review that for a moment. <laughs> in terms of the revelation of oneness right now. Inside of most people are other people <laughs> on an ongoing basis. The entire world is one neighborhood. The entire economy is one economy. The history of all thought is available right now within moments, wherever you are. That's a lot of oneness going on. Huge revelation of oneness. And what does the Torah say? God is one. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Now, you know, Listen to this. This is deep. See, echad means one. Echad is the gematria. It's the numerical equivalent of the word ava, love. So, like the Bob Marley song, one love, right? That's, that's what it is. One love. That oneness that we're engulfed by is love. Is love. Not only that. Not only that. But... I'll tell you, this is a teaching I wish I can quote the exact verse to, but I heard it from Rabbi Simcha Weinberg, and it's, it's very strong, just if I can paraphrase it, which is, 
one of the when it talks about the early generations when it talks about the early generations um, the generations after Adam and Eve Adam and Chava and it gives sort of the genealogy of the world in the in the very beginning of, of the Torah it 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 references one one person in particular I'm forgetting his name right now but just the teaching is so strong anyway even without knowing the exact details and it says that he said and it's a variant of the word Shema right and it says that he said to a woman this variant of the word Shema remember the reason why I'm bringing this is because the the, the word that we're supposed to say the, the prayer that we're both supposed to say before we go to bed at night the last words we're supposed to say Shema Yisrael, Shema Lokeinu, Shema Chad. That's how we end the day. And after 120, when a person leaves this world, the last words a person is supposed to say before they leave this world are Shema Yisrael, Shema Lokeinu, Shema Chad. That's, that's, that's how we do it. Because every day is basically a miniature of a lifetime. And we declare the oneness of God. That's the declaration of the oneness of God. And what did we say? We said that this, this oneness is the same gematria, the same spiritual DNA as the word Abba. This, this oneness that we're engulfed by is love. Now, this word Shema appears in the beginning of the Torah, a variant of this word, where a man says to a woman, come to me, listen, listen. Right? And the Rashi on that explains that he was bringing her close to him in order that they should have sexual relations and that they should reproduce. So what's so interesting is this idea of Shema is really tied to the ultimate in intimacy. So when you understand that, and you understand that this declaration of the oneness of God is, we say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, that we're referencing the level of intimacy of this love, of this oneness that we're engulfed in every single moment of our life is really far out. This is really far out. I mean, this is not just, this is not just, yeah, I guess there's a God, right? Because where did all this come from and why doesn't it just disappear? Or if, you know, I want to be hyper-Darwinian about it, it's evolving constantly. Well, you know what? The world looks pretty much the same as it did when I was born, you know, (laughs) a while back, many decades ago. You know, why aren't we, you know, it would be good for me to fly. Where are my wings? You know, I should have gotten wings by some point, or at least little stubs, like, poking out of my back. Where are those? You know, I mean, it's like... So, so we exist within this structure. And, and it's, not, it's not happenstance. And the, the level of closeness is extreme. Is extreme. It's extreme. So now, I want to I want to talk about something else. This is also from the Rabbi Nachman book from Reb Shlomo uh, that Zivi Richie put together, and he talks about two levels of lies and two levels of the truth. And if you want to see it in the book, it's on page 188. 
And this is, he says, uh, is a very fundamental Hasidic concept. And it, 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 it's, it's connecting to what we've been saying up until now, just how extreme the oneness is, how extreme the existence of God is. So he says like this. Imagine, let's say we're all in Jerusalem. Okay? Imagine someone says, right now, we're in Hawaii. And then, let's say it's, let's say it's, you know, six o'clock. And they say, and it's 12 o'clock. So you're in Jerusalem in this example, and it's six o'clock, and someone says, no, we're in Hawaii, and it's 12 o'clock. So how great a lie is that? How big a lie is that? And the answer is not that big, relatively speaking. Why? Because there is a Hawaii. And while it's true we're in Jerusalem, theoretically, we could be in Hawaii if we went to Hawaii right now. Since Hawaii exists, we could be there so even though we're not, and what you've said is not true, nonetheless the alternative is, a, is one that exists within the realm of possibility, right? But now imagine someone says, there's no God. That's a much deeper lie. It's a quantumly greater lie. Because there is no actual alternative. Because there is only God. There has always been only God. And so, it's not like we're in Jerusalem and we could be in Hawaii because Hawaii exists. There is no other alternative to the fact that there is a God. So the the level of that lie is astronomically greater because there is no other way it could be. Now, I'll tell you now, on the true side, Two levels of the truth, right? You know, I'm a writer. Right? That's true. But if I told you that I was a painter, well, you know, I, I'm also a painter. I'm not a great painter. You know, it's true, but it's not as true. You know, whatever it is. But if I told you I'm, I'm a Jew, that's really the truth. And if I told you that I'm not a Jew... According to Jewish law, even if someone converts and they're Jewish, Jewish law doesn't recognize their conversion, which means you can't convert out of Judaism once you're Jewish. So that means that that that's really true if I tell you I'm Jewish, because there is no alternative that can be true other than that truth. So you see, this thing exists on the level of truth and this thing exists on the level of a lie. That it's not like, it's not like there's a God, there could not be a God, it just happens to be that there is a God. That's not what it is. There is no other way. Because God is always there and God is there even if we think that he's not there. See, that's the amazing thing. That's the, that's the challenge, I think, that um, our generation really has to 
get through in order to achieve what we call a complete belief. Because again, what, what I try to do is try to unearth a lot of thoughts that people have that they never analyze in their own brains. Okay? And so it exists for most people on the, on the level of sort of like this low-level doubt, or they just don't know. They just haven't thought through it, you know? That's what all these talks are, by the way. It's just working through these thoughts. That's, that's all I'm doing right now. And because I work it through on myself all the time, so then I share with you what it is that, that, that I'm doing. You know, it's, this is just a, one long spiritual diary, if you will, you know? So, so the thing is, is that people think that God exists to the extent that I believe in him. But God exists, period. And God exists even as people say he doesn't exist. Not only that, but as people say he doesn't exist, God continues to give those people life. Right? So, you know, it's, it's, if you think about it, it's like this incredible cosmic joke that's going on right now. Here is God, loving, patient, super involved with every aspect of everything. And people are walking around saying he doesn't even exist. And God keeps them alive and feeds them and clothes them. It's a very interesting story we're in the middle of right now. And then at a certain point, you know why Abraham Avinu was Abraham Avinu? Why Abraham was really chosen to be the emissary of Torah into the world? Remember, when Moshe goes up to get the Torah, God gave Moshe the face, Moses, the face of Abraham. That's what it says. Because the angels didn't want to let go of the Torah. They said, this is just for heaven. You're going to give it to a human being? And they basically wanted to kill Moses. And God gives Moses the face of Abraham and says, Abraham's the one who gave you hospitality? This is how you, this is how you show your gratitude to Abraham? And then the angels, like, back off. So, it's all wrapped up in Abraham. Everything. And remember, it says Abraham was keeping the Torah. Every aspect of the Torah, even Erev Tavshilin, the most, you know, detailed aspects of the, you know, the, the Rabbanans, the Derabbanans, he was keeping, you know, long before the Torah was given out on Sinai. So, it's all contained in Abraham. So what was Abraham doing? Abraham was walking around the world, seeing the absolute presence of God in absolutely everything, was able to spiritually derive all of the commandments just because it, just, it was the logic of the world. It was the building blocks of creation. And as he investigated reality, he just understood, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. It was just clear to him, the Torah. said, by the way, his two kidneys were his teacher's. His rabbis were his two kidneys, which is a way of expressing the idea that instinctually he understood the entire structure and the details to the structure. So Abraham cried out to God. He said, God, reveal yourself. What's going on? You've made this world. You're keeping it going. You fill the entire thing. Is it right that people should be walking around saying you don't even exist? Or bowing down to pieces of wood and rocks? Is it, it doesn't make sense, God. Don't, reveal yourself. 
It's not fair, God. It's not fair to you. You made all this. You guide all this. You love all this. Reveal yourself. That's why God came to Abraham. I mean, look at the level of love and passion and devotion of Abraham. And God said, okay. Sold. <laughs> yes. I will. We're going to start with you. I'm going to start with you and Sarah. And this is how I want to do it. I'm going to start with the two of you. And we'll unfold it all. Through your descendants. And this is how we're going to do it. And uh, it seems like it's taking a long time, right? But if you look at the world the way it was with Abraham and Sarah, people throwing their children into fires, that was like considered a very religious act. You know how much I love you, God? I'm going to burn my child in this fire for you. What? Slavery? There's no more slavery. For the most part. I mean, you know, all these things exist. Incest was like the most normal thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, you have it, but it's not... It's not what it was. You know, the, the, the Wild West, the, the amount of lawlessness in the world at that point. The world has gotten pretty civilized since Abraham and Sarah. It's got a long way to go. But if you think that it was just two people and they've radically transformed the world, I mean, if you want to just think about what the Torah did, Love your fellow like yourself. Three words. Three words. Look at what three words in the Torah have done in terms of transforming billions of people. It's incredible. It's incredible what has been accomplished. It's incredible what's been accomplished. And it still goes on. And we're, the baton, so to speak, has been handed to us. And now it's not just two people. I mean, we're still a tiny fraction of the world. You know, the, the Jewish people are less than a tenth of one percent of the world population. Tiny. Tiny, tiny, tiny. There's something like approximately 16 million Jews. You know? Israel is the size of Rhode Island. You know, most people think, if you, if you were to walk up to the average person, how big is Israel? They'll tell you, oh, probably, I guess, if you had to pick a state, Texas, I guess. You know how many Israels you could fit into Texas? And to think that Israel is on the front page of the world's papers all the time? Sometimes every day. You know, if you think about how many Jews there are, if you ask people, how many Jews are there? Well, let's see, if there are a billion Muslims and a billion Christians, approximately, I don't know, a billion Jews? Half a billion? Quarter of a billion? How about 16 million, <laughs> approximately? Tiny. Tiny, 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 tiny. But it's happening. It's happening. So, so just to just to conclude, 
Um, all of us are parents, whether we have physical children or not. Remember, we create children, and those children have a, a life force which endures and continues to affect people for generations. So we, we have real, you know, the average person has hundreds or thousands or ten thousands or millions of children. That's in the realest sense. So just know that. Also understand that you're never alone. You're never alone. Wherever you walk at night in this world, wherever you go, God is there. Every Jew that ever lived is with you. Wherever you go. And not only that, understand that not only is there a God, there's a God even when you think there isn't a God. And there's only a God. And there's no, no, no other thought in terms of that. And that he's extremely close. And when we say Shema, that's not just a declaration, it's a, it's a call and an act of intimacy. And not only that, but to understand that the whole world right now is in the process of revealing the extent of that oneness. And we're heading toward that realization and that collective understanding very, very quickly. Remember, the Rashi on Shema. Right? Rashi is our great explainer of Torah. Rashi says, it says, Shema Yisrael, hear Israel, or all the other levels of that. Shema Yisrael, hear Israel, understand Israel. Hashem Elokeinu, God is our God. So Rashi says right now, in terms of history, Hashem, as we understand Him, is really kind of just among the Jewish people. So we say God is our God because we, we, we understand Him right now. And then it says, Hashem Echad. That God is one. And Rashi explains, what does that mean? God is one. The time will come where the entire world will understand as one who Hashem is. So the Shema Yisrael as understood by Rashi is actually a historical timeline of the spiritual waking of the world and of civilization. Let it be soon, let it be soon.